kids are going to actually be studying the same thing we're studying upstairs today. So it doesn't happen often, but it did today. So if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we're going back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 today. Daniel chapter 6. Last week, um, for those who are here, we had a, a kind of a special special morning. and um, We had a, a guest speaker. Uh, Dr. David Nelms came and spoke on behalf of the Timothy Initiative. And the Timothy Initiative is our major foreign mission group that we've partnered with. And um, I, I hope that you guys left last week, uh, maybe with eyes a little wider open. Um, I hope that you were able to catch some of the passion that he had for seeing some of these lost souls saved in um, foreign lands. And, and not just one of the things I appreciate about him so much is, although he does most of his work overseas, he um, has a vision for our own backyard. And we, Courtney and I went to dinner with him and his wife after church last week, and we just kind of talked about stuff. We talked about, um, you know, our church, where we're at, where we hope to be going. And one of the things he kept encouraging was for us to make sure that we ingrain ourselves not just in a foreign ministry, but also in a local ministries. And, uh, and I, this past Wednesday, we had kind of a vision night for um, for our church. We had several that came, and I, I heard from several of you that just your schedules conflicted, didn't allow you to come. And um, we had a good night, I thought. And, and it was different. Sometimes I think when you see like vision nights, you come expecting to hear about what the new program is going to be or what we're going to do different or all these different things. And, and when you, those who came, maybe you left a little disappointed in that it felt maybe more like a newcomer's class to a church than it did um, this new what's coming next. And and what's important for us, I think, in the stage in which we're at as a church of about 18 months old is for us not to lose sight of why we started um, and for us to kind of double down a little bit and focus on kind of our core, what we are. And, and so our vision that night was kind of talking about what our mission statement is. Our mission statement, Redemption Hills Church's mission statement is that we exist to give God glory through seeing souls saved and lives changed. We kind of shorten it and just talk about seeing souls saved and lives changed. And when you think about that, that mantra, that statement, um, we can kind of take from the souls saved part, the beginning, and break out that what kind of a tree underneath that of evangelism and missions. And then when we talk about lives changed, we talk about fellowship, we talk about discipleship, we talk about ministry. So we talk about that. We talk about a mission statement, but having a mission statement with no process is confusing and at the end of the day results in nothing happening. And so we talked a bit about our process and, um, and then we kind of ended talking about our core values, what we are, what are some of our core values. And so we have seven core values in, um, that are identified that we're going to start plastering and you may get sick of seeing them, but, but if, if you don't know where we're going, if you don't know who we are, then we're not I'm not doing my job as a pastor. And so today we actually works out well that we'll end up highlighting one of those towards the end of the message. But um, so it was a good, it was a good night and we did have some questions and we had some good conversation. And, and if you know me, um, hopefully you feel comfortable talking with me. And I'm, I'm a pretty open book, I think, sometimes to a fault. And sometimes I probably tell too much, but um, 
but I, I believe just in being transparent. And, and so um, if you weren't able to come and maybe you just want to have a little conversation, maybe you want to catch up and get some coffee one day or get lunch and just talk about the church and all that kind of stuff, I, I have an open-door policy, so please don't ever hesitate. Okay, so back to this morning, back to why we're here, Daniel chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read the chapter, and then we're going to try and um, fill in the blanks. This is a, a very familiar story. Um, I, I would say this is one of those stories in the Bible that you know even if you don't go to church. Right? This is one of those kind of those key stories that you, that you even, even those people who have never stepped foot in a church, um, who know very little about God, who know very little about Jesus, most of them know the story about Daniel and the lion's den. Sometimes when we get to these very familiar stories, we can either just gloss over them real quickly, or because they're so familiar with us, um, that it begins to lose some of um, the value, some of the importance of this story. So this morning, we're going to just not add anything to it, but we're just going to try and look at it and draw some application for us today. Um, so let's just start reading, and then we're going to read the whole chapter this morning, and then um, see where God takes us. So Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set over him, set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials said, or then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground or complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 6 says, And then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom the perfects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petitions to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, 
pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, and no injunction or ordinance the king established can be changed. Verse 16, And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep, fed, sleep fled from him. Then at the brink of the day, or break of the day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths, the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before you and also before, before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and, break, and broke all their bones in pieces. Then Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I have a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring God. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing account. Sometimes we read stories like this and they, they almost come across as fables, as, as, as stories that are made up, almost a, a Hollywood-like movie. But God, to realize, to understand that this was a literal event, that this man, Daniel, remained faithful to you, that you were first in his life, that, that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile you, and he remained faithful in that plea. And how we see this king being duped and ultimately having to cast Daniel into this lion's den. Lord, what an amazing, amazing story. 
And sometimes we focus in on how Daniel was saved and we lose sight of how faithful he was. So this morning, God, as we, as we look at your word, as we study it, as we read it, Lord, make this become breath in our lungs. Make this come alive in our lives. Lord, may we look at this life of Daniel. May we look at this faith of Daniel. May we look at this practice of Daniel. May we institute it in our faith family, in our own literal family, in our own lives. Lord, help us to be more like him, ultimately more like you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's interesting as we look at this very familiar story, the first um, few verses, you, the first two or three, you, you, you remember, right, the first five chapters of Daniel that we've, we've already gone through. King Nebuchadnezzar is the, the reigning king the very beginning of this book, and he's the king of the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel chapter 1 begins with the Babylonian Empire taking over. It begins with um, Jerusalem being conquered. It begins with Judah being conquered. It begins with these young men being taken from their homeland and brought to Babylon. Chapter 2, you have this dream that Nebuchadnezzar the king has, and and it's a statue, and it's made out of these different metals and things. And, And in that statue, Daniel, this young Hebrew boy that was a late teenager, maybe in his early 20s, tells King Nebuchadnezzar what this dream means, and it begins to, to talk about this Gentile history, something that would go back and would begin with this Babylonian empire at 600 B.C. and extend to today. And the, the, this part that he tells Nebuchadnezzar is this first part, the head of this statue was made of gold and how that head represented the Babylonian empire, what would become the greatest empire of the known world. And Nebuchadnezzar would be the king, and he would be the greatest king of the Babylonian empire. And that one, at some point, that Babylonian empire would fall. And that next part of the body, the the chest, the arm area, was made out of silver, and that represented this Persian-Mede alliance that would take place. If you remember when we talked about it, that dream, um, Cyrus was the king of the, and he was able to, 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 to cause the Medes and the Persians to come together. He was of mixed descent. Part of his family was Persian, the other part was Medes. And because of this descent, because of his relationship with both, he was able to, to conjure this group to come together in an alliance very end of chapter 5, we, we see that as Belshazzar, who was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, he was having this big party. He had taken these holy relics from the temple in Jerusalem and began drinking and partying and having this grand old time, mocking God. And suddenly this finger begins to write a message on the wall. And the party becomes deathly quiet. While this is going on, the the Medes and the Persians had already surrounded the walls of Babylon. They had blocked off the river that ran through Babylon. Remember, Babylon's this massive, massive city. The the walls, the 
Our, the, room, our, the room that we're in is about 40 feet wide. The, the walls surrounding the city would have been about twice as wide as this room. To give us perspective, these walls would vary in height from two to 300 feet tall. This is a massive, massive empire. It was, was, history tells us that they had enough rations within the walls to sustain 20 years. But the Medes and the Persians dam up this river. And while Belshazzar is having this party, the river stops flowing through the city and the Medes and the Persians invade. They come right underneath. The Babylonians are dazed and confused and they have no idea what's going on. All of a sudden they wake up and it's no longer a Babylonian empire. And so as we turn the page from chapter 5 to chapter 6, now, not is it just only a new chapter in the book of Daniel, but we have this, this historical change, a historical shift that this Babylonian empire is no longer this massive great empire. And now it's the Medes and the Persians. And we see a new king being brought in. There's some debate um, as, as we earlier read and historically we know about Cyrus, but this idea of Darius when we get to chapter 9, Darius is mentioned there. It's a different Darius. We're not completely sure who this is. This, this could be just another name given to Cyrus the king. This could be a name given to Cyrus's son, who was kind of the acting governor of the area. It could have just been a name given to another person who was appointed just to oversee this region, this area. That exactly who it is is somewhat insignificant but we see something that continues to happen in chapter six that we've seen in chapter one two three four and five there's some people that have some issues with daniel these individuals there you see daniel what's amazing in this if you remember at the very end of chapter five um, for him telling the story for him telling uh, belshazzar what this handwriting meant. He was appointed third in command over the whole Babylonian empire, which the next morning would mean nothing. But over time, he, he is, he's, he's found favor in this new leadership. And this new king um, this, he sets up these satraps, 120 satraps. It would be almost like little governors that would oversee pockets, areas, counties, if you will. And above those 120 satraps were, were three men that oversaw those, those 120. Daniel was one of those three. And he found so much favor under Darius that Darius was ready to promote Daniel to be over all of them. This is what's somewhat interesting to me. Um, and maybe it helps us understand a little bit why there was so much animosity by these people towards Daniel. If we go back into to Nebuchadnezzar's reign, we, remember we talked about he having these dreams. He was calling in the, the, the magicians and all these enchanters and all these people. You guys remember that, right? Well, we discussed there that but part of the group that was brought in was the magi. The same group that we kind of read about in Matthew chapter 2 during the birth of Jesus, right? Remember the Magi come and they bring these three gifts to Jesus? 
When you go back into the Old Testament, the, the Magi, they, they, were, they were priests. They were Persian priests. Now, they, were, they had a, a particular office underneath King Nebuchadnezzar. We, we see it there in, in Daniel. If you also go to, to Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah, who's, who's in, living in the same time frame, mentions this. He, he mentions the, um, the titles given. And, and one particular title that's given is Rob Mag. And Rob Mag was like the chief magi. Okay, so here's, this is what's for us, so we're not chasing a rabbit. This is why we need to understand this. This was a hereditary line of priests. Very similar to the way the Jews believed. If you, if you go back into the Old Testament, you realize that the, the Jewish priests all came from the line of Levi. Okay? Same thing happened with the Persians and the Medes. The Magi were their priests. It was hereditary. When Nebuchadnezzar placed the title of, of Rab Mag to Daniel, Daniel is Jewish. And Daniel's just been put in charge, a Jew in charge of a hereditary priesthood of Persians. And they don't like him. And so all throughout this, all throughout this reign and life of Daniel, they're constantly coming back at Daniel, coming back at Daniel. And they keep trying to trip him up. And we see this. And finally, they're looking. And I, I, love, I love this. As they're trying to find something that they can nail to Daniel. Um, in, in verse 5, 4. I love how it says, no error or fault was found in him. No error or fault. I mean, these guys were doing their homework. It's, we we are getting close. We are. In the election phase, aren't we? Um, It seems like every time I turn the TV on, a new member of the Republican Party is announcing his candidacy for the presidential office. I think the Democrats are just hooking the wagon to Hillary, right? But, but, but I mean, but, but it, we're in full swing, right? And, and it's, it won't be long until every commercial will be of some political persuasion. And what we also know is during this time, like, all the dirt comes out, doesn't it? Right? I mean, because you never see a positive election ad, do you? I've, at least I don't think I've seen one. Rather than focusing on what good they are, they always tend to focus on how bad everybody else is. These guys dug deep and wide. They looked hard for faults in Daniel. They could find nothing. Think about that. Think about this testimony that that Daniel has. And, And bear in mind, this is not young Daniel anymore. This is not teenage Daniel this is Daniel. He's, he's in his late 80s, probably. He's probably somewhere between 85 and 90 years old. He's, he's lived a fairly lengthy life. And they can find no dirt on this guy. You know, Daniel's one of a very select few in the Bible that we can read from cover to cover and not find anything bad spoken about Daniel. 
you know, we have some great heroes of faith in the Bible, like, like men like David. Like they were, they're in the hall of faith in Hebrews, but you can still find bad things that David does. You can find bad things that Moses did, that, that Noah did. You can find bad things that the disciples did. Like, that's what I love about the Bible is it shows us the good and the bad. But, but when it comes to Daniel, Daniel is one of the very few that you can find nothing bad about. And so finally they come to this realization that they, we can't find anything bad. So if we're going to find anything, we're going to have to connect it to his faith. And so they devise this plan that for 30 days that nobody can bow or pray or ask anything from anyone except from the king. Which sounds miserable if I'm a king. Because if you read that, it's not just praying. It's like if you want to ask for anything, you're supposed to be asking the king directly. And so the king does that. I think there's a few reasons why the king would be so quick to do that. Understand that sometimes we, we, we quickly say, wow, he must have just been bombarded with such flattery that, that these guys are, are puffing him up. His ego must have been so big and, and, and he just wanted these people to bow to him. There was probably an aspect of that. We all, most of us, will fall prey to that. As people applaud us, as people pat us on the back, as, as, as people go from even encouraging into flattery, that's hard for us to manage. But also bear in mind, this is a new kingdom. They've just taken over the Babylonians. The Babylonians are still in the community. They're still being held captive. And, and what's more than likely what Darius is viewing this as is this is a, a way to, to get the people to come together centrally, to focus on one thing, and let's try and bring this community together. And so he signs off on this deal. One of, the, I think, the most profound parts of this entire chapter, we see in verse uh, 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. If you guys have a pen or maybe you make it a habit of, of writing in your Bible, I would encourage you. I would encourage you to underline that he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God and then underlined twice as he had done previously. You, you know that I've heard the phrase said that there's no atheist in foxholes. And the idea behind that is when, when life is chaotic and, 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 and we're in extremely dangerous circumstances and, 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 and things are really bad, that most people at some point turn upward. They turn to God, they call to God, they, they do something. What's so fascinating to me about this particular story, and it flows 
from the first chapter of Daniel is this consistency in the life of Daniel. See, see Daniel 1.8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. That's a 12, 14-year-old kid. 85 to 90-year-old man is doing the same thing, and he has this practice that he's praying three times a day. And folks, for some of us, we might pray three times a day, but if you're like me at times, those three prayers is before breakfast, before lunch, and before dinner. And it's thank you, God, for the food. Amen. But Daniel instituted in his life this time that he would stop. He would get away from these distractions. He would go up to his room. It's somewhat significant when it says that he opened the windows and he turned towards Jerusalem. When Solomon built the temple, go back into 1 Kings, um, as it was being dedicated, Solomon there instructed if, if the people ever become captive and they turn their face back towards Jerusalem and bow to God, he begged for God to hear those prayers. Daniel knew the scriptures. And so he's captive. He'd been captive for some 75 years or better. And he, had distilled, he got this practice where he'd bow towards Jerusalem and he would pray three times a day. The men knew he would do that. It was no secret. Daniel didn't hide his faith. And so as he goes and he does... They have their cameras set. They get their pictures. Well, they didn't have cameras back then, but they get the evidence they need, and they go back to the king. I find it somewhat humorous in that they come back to the king, and it's almost as if they say, Hey, king, um, hey, didn't you make this new rule? Almost as if they don't really remember it and they're going to ask the king to fill in the blanks. Hey, king, didn't you make this new rule? Like, I think if, if somebody, like, isn't it like if they don't, if they pray to something other than you, king says, yes, I, if, if they pray other than me, they need to be cast into the lines then. Well, it's funny that you say that, king, because we just saw Daniel praying. Notice the reaction of Darius. Verse 14 says, The king, when he heard these words, was much, much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Darius knew he, would, he was duped. Hey, he had this relationship with Daniel. He had this tremendous respect of Daniel. And he realized the moment those guys said that, that he had been set up. And so it tells us that, that he, as soon as he heard those words, he was upset, he was mad. He, he, he gathered his legal team together to figure out a way to get him out of this predicament. This is part where we see the difference between the Babylonian rule and the Medes and the Persians. Had it been Nebuchadnezzar as the, as the king of Babylon who had all authority, he could have just said, no, stop. Darius didn't have the same authority that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so after toiling and figuring out there was no way for him to do it. He realized that Daniel would have to go to the lion's den. Verse 16. Second half says, the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, 
deliver you. Again, a small phrase, but I would encourage you to underline this. By this time, no doubt, Darius knows Daniel. I mean, enough to where he had such esteem for Daniel that he was going to promote him over all of the kingdom. And not only that, by, the, by now, certainly he had heard the stories of the younger years of Daniel. And as he leaves these final words, this last conversation with Daniel, the thing he draws upon, the phrase that he states, as he discusses his relationship with God, he says, whom you serve continually. Right next to that, right down, Daniel 1.8. Because it goes back to that same scenario. He served him continually. He started as a young man, and now as he's aged, it's been the same thing, the same story, this consistent path. And they close up the lion's den. The king goes back to his room, says he fasts, he doesn't eat. He's restless the whole night. Um, I think there's a lesson that we can learn from the Darius, from Darius here. If we're being honest, we can all admit of making some foolish decisions in life. And sometimes those foolish decisions can haunt us. And as we look at Darius, who who made a dumb decision, and now he has to live with the consequences of that decision. And so that night, he he, he wrestles with this decision. He, He wrestles with the thought of losing a friend, a, a thought of losing an ally, a thought of losing this, this man that he respected so much. There's times as we ourselves make foolish mistakes that we have to walk in those mistakes. We have to pray out to God to, to mercif- mercifully or miraculously pull us from our own foolishness. And that's where I believe Darius finds himself. The next morning, I love how it says, at the break of day. Like as the sun first comes up, he is running. He's booking it. And he hollers out, um, maybe hopeful. He says, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Again, that same phrase that you serve continually, he repeats. I don't know if he expected to hear anything at all or not. But I feel quite certain, though, as Daniel's voice from inside the lions and from behind this rock is heard, his heart stops. And when Daniel makes this statement, he says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. And shut the lion's mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. Darius gets the rock removed quickly and pulls Daniel from this lion's den. 
after this occurs, after Daniel's removed and all Darius turns and he finds those other people who had maliciously accused Daniel of this. And if you recall the very beginning of the chapter, as these men allow this pride in their lives to seep in, but they all join together and they begin to make these lies. We know for certain it's a lie because it says that they've all come together. If it was true that they all came together, it would have, been, it would have had to have been all 120 of the satraps and the three commanders. But one of those three commanders was Daniel, and I'm pretty sure Daniel would not have signed off on that. They, they set this, this scenario up, and so the king takes this group. 122 people, their wives, their families, and he throws them into the lion's den. Sometimes as we hear people talk about Daniel the lion's den, and, and, and there are people that don't believe the Bible to be true, or they don't believe necessarily in God, they, they try and come up with reasons why Daniel could have survived this scenario aside from God. Some will say that the lions were too old or the lions weren't hungry. Well, this debunks that theory because the Bible tells us that before their, before their bodies even hit the bottom of the den, their bones were all broken. Folks, this isn't one or two people being thrown into the lion's den. This is hundreds. These were ferocious lions. They were hungry. <laughs> God spared Daniel. Why? why? Why did God spare Daniel? Well, Daniel gives us the reason because he was found faultless. There's a pretty important um, characteristic, I think, that we see in this chapter that we've seen in the life of Daniel so far. I believe it circles in and it focuses in on his prayer life. If you guys have your um, bullets, and I'll put a little something at the top of it. We don't always have fill-in-the-blank type stuff, but I, I, I thought this was important. It deals with prayer, and I think what we see in the life of Daniel is this, that faithful prayers produce faithful people. Faithful prayers produce faithful people. What do you mean by that? I mean this. Um, often in our lives, when something bad happens, we run to God. But as soon as um, we get through that, then we go and we settle back into our own ways, our, our, our own regular lifestyle, and our prayer becomes erratic at best. But as soon as catastrophe strikes, we're back at it. And then it's, 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 it's craziness and, 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 and there's little, little focus in our lives. And we don't see that in Daniel. Daniel remains true. Daniel remains strong. I, I believe this, that, that Daniel had such discipline in his life. He desired God so greatly. He was so desperate for him. It reminds me of, of Psalm 42, when, when David writes, As a deer panteth for water, so I pant for you. As a deer desires water, as a deer needs water, as he's by that brook, he's drinking, and he's consuming the water, so I want to consume you. 
And I think Daniel had the same belief. Like, like he had instilled, like he just wanted to be close to God. And he would, he would pray and he had this, this system in his life that prayer for him was not just a rope to grab a hold of in a time of need. It wasn't some religious rhetoric. It was him communicating with God. Him spending time with his Savior. And so when these difficult times in his life occurred, when he's a young man ripped away from his home, ripped away from his country, he remained faithful. When he's brought before a king as, as a late teenager in his early 20s, this king of a massive nation, and he's going to tell them that, that he yes, he's going to be this mighty king, but his reign will end. He does it. When he fast-forwards and he meets his grandson of the king that he was before, and he sees him mocking God, mocking his faith, he doesn't sugarcoat it. And he stands before him. I uh, read this week a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor back in the 1800s. He said this, um, he goes, It's a good thing those lions didn't eat old Daniel. They would have choked on him. Daniel's half grit and half backbone. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think it goes back to this prayer life that Daniel had. It was so ingrained in him. Folks, I don't know if when, as Daniel's being taken to the lion's den, if Daniel expected to be delivered. One of the things I hope for us as we think of this story, let's focus less on the survival of Daniel and focus more on the faith of Daniel. Um, Because all throughout Scripture, we read about people, good, godly people that were put in terrible circumstances that God doesn't necessarily spare. We can't read into it and say, well, God only saves the good ones all the time. In Isaiah arguably one of the greatest prophets in history. You, you read that Isaiah was cut in two. He wasn't delivered there, was he? You, you read in Jewish history, you, you talk and, and study all the different disciples and, and what happened to them in their lives. Almost all of them were martyred for their faith. So let's focus more on the faith of Daniel than his survival. And I believe this, that one of the reasons that he was able to be faithful, that he was able to withstand these difficult circumstances in life, goes back to his prayer life. Faithful prayers produce faithful people. That if we get on our hands and our knees and we pray to God faithfully, that as those things in life occur, and they will occur, that we will be faithful to him. We... Wednesday night talked about some core values. And as I said in the introduction part, we have seven core values. 
And as we get to parts of Scripture that I believe highlight some of these core values, I, I want us to stop and consider that. And why is it a core value? One of those core values for us is that we're passionate about prayer. We're passionate about prayer. Um, I don't know if you feel that you are passionate about prayer. Uh, this morning, I posted on our Facebook page. Maybe you saw it. If you haven't, later today or tomorrow, go check it out. There's a little YouTube clip by David Platt. who wrote a book called, um, called Radical. And he asked this question about, about prayer. Do we really feel that prayer is a necessity? That's an honest question. Because like most things in our life, like if we consider it to be a necessity, we make time for it, don't we? Like food. Is anybody going to argue that food's not a necessity? Because I can probably start hearing some bellies rumbling here pretty shortly. Like food's a necessity, right? So when we get hungry enough, then we eat. We need water. We, we, we drink. So there are necessities. And if it's a necessity in our life, then we make time for it. If we say that, yes, prayer is a necessity, then how much time do we truly make for it? Um, there's some interesting verses. In Isaiah 62, I'll just read this to you. Isaiah 62, um, verse 6 through 7 says, On our walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Verse 7, I love this. Go back later and underline it. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. God wants us to talk to him. God wants to hear our pleas. He wants us to to pester him. He wants us to bug him. It says right there in Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, to give him no rest, to be relentless in our prayers to him. He wants that. It's not like we are bugging him. He has appointed people to do it. He wants that. You go in the Old or the New Testament, and and James four chapter uh, chapter four verse two says, "You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask." James, the brother of Jesus makes that, that you're doing all these other things and you can't get what you want and you don't have it because you're not asking. You're not seeking. You're not talking. Jesus himself, Jesus' own words, Luke 11, 9 through 10 says, I tell you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. Jesus himself is implying that. Now listen, I'm not a, pro- a prosperity gospel guy. I'm not telling you to go home and start praying for a Corvette and expect to wake up tomorrow with a shiny red Corvette in your driveway. But what I'm saying is this. So often in our lives, we work so hard to figure these things out. We work so hard to obtain things and do things. And we don't even spend time talking with God about it. 
Have you ever thought how much wasted energy we have in life by going against God than rather just stopping and praying and seeking him? I believe this. I believe that God will give us everything we need and everything that we truly want when we're connected to him. See, when we're connected to him, as, as we are like that deer panting for water, as we, like Daniel, purpose in our heart not to defile God, as we grow close to him, as we spend faithful time praying to him, our hearts become in tune with him, and we start praying and asking him for things that align with his glory, with his honor, and it makes us better. And I just love how this story ends. This king who made a stupid decision and had to wrestle with the outcome of that. It's interesting because I think as you read this chapter and you compare Darius to Nebuchadnezzar, there's a lot of similarities. And I love how Darius responds. Verse 25 says that he wrote to all the peoples, all the nations and languages that dwell in the earth. That means if he knew where they were at, he wrote it to them. He says, peace be multiplied to you and all our traditional greeting. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion. So he said, listen, I may not be able to tell you what you're doing, but everywhere that I'm in charge, this is what we're going to do. That people are going to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. They're going to respect. There's going to be this holiness. There is one God. For he is the living God, enduring God. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. the beginning, we see the pride of man at work. The result, as we used this same terminology a few weeks ago, the result of those men's pride was destruction. They were destroyed. They were thrown into that lion's den. So you remember that phrase, man's pride destroys, but God's glory restores. And this pagan king, he, he, he sees Daniel. He, he sees the consistency. He sees the passion. He sees the love. He sees the concern. He, he sees all these amazing attributes in Daniel. And, and he weeps and he cries and he, he, he fasts over his, his, his newfound friend who's been tossed in his lion's den. And then he sees this God, one true living God, spare him and save him. And he begins to sing the praises and the glory of God. There's so much in this so familiar story. And I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning. I hope it's not through a catchy phrase. 
I hope it's not from anything that I've said or done. I hope God's word grabbed and pricked your heart today. And I hope that we all decide to follow the example of David or Daniel, especially in the realm of our prayer lives, that we become faithful people because of faithful prayers, that we in our lives set up a time that we just pray with God. We can offer a list of excuses. We, we can say that, um, that I'm too busy. I'm, 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 my life is just too busy to, to spend this additional time in prayer. Um, Daniel was just placed in charge of an entire empire. One of the greatest empires of the world. Pretty sure he's busy. Um, I'm not trying to say that you don't have a busy schedule, but I would dare say that Daniel's schedule is a little bit busier than yours. I know it wasn't mine. We might say, well, you know, maybe I'm... I'm too old for that. I'm too old old for this to become part of my life. Daniel was 85, 90 years old. I know for certain there's nobody in this room that's 85 or 90 years old. See, we're never too old to institute God's word and God's practices into our lives. We can come up with a thousand excuses. But at the end of the day, those excuses do nothing. I pray this week it's been on my heart that we become a house of faith, a faith family that is passionate about prayer, that that we come together, that we pray for each other, that, that we don't just do it before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we take time in our busy schedules that we maybe get rid of some of our TV time, some of our internet time, some of our Facebook time or Instagram time or whatever, and we just spend it with God that we become desperate for him. And if you stand here today and just say, you know what, prayer's hard. You're right, it is hard. The Lord's Prayer, the little video we watched at the beginning, the only thing the disciples ever asked God to help them with was prayer. It's, it's challenging. You might say, well, I feel a disconnect with God. I feel, I feel like there's, there's nothing there. Well, you start praying. Because that's where the intimacy with God comes from, is our prayer life. You start there. And I will promise you, if you follow the example of Daniel, you start doing this with purpose. You start doing this faithfully. You will find in your lives a connection with Christ that you've never experienced before. Prepare today for the lion's dens tomorrow. Don't wait till you're tossed in the lion's den. Prepare today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the things you've done for us. Lord, I, I, I pray that we were faithful to your word today. 
God, I, 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 I so badly want this characteristic of prayer to be a foundational element of our church, of our faith family. But I don't want it to be a catchy little phrase that we put on a website under some values that sounds good, but isn't being practiced. That looks good on paper, but we're not doing in practice. Help us, Lord. Help us to be the ones who will stand in the gap. Help us to be the faithful ones, like Daniel. But I, I have to believe that I know Daniel wasn't perfect because you're the only one that was. But I have to believe that, that he had this connection with you, God, that was so close. That as temptations came, he was able to withstand those temptations because he had this prayer life a rich prayer life, time of, of him coming to you and, and, and praising you and remembering about how, how great and how amazing, how, how beautiful you are. A time where he could open up his heart to you, ask you the questions that he lacked answers to. That he could be real and let his guard down. He could be genuine transparent. And he could pray for those around him. What I believe a passionate prayer life will transform our lives and transform our church. So God, I pray this morning that you work however you see fit. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a last song now. A song of invitation. Um, Amazing grace. I kind of felt this week as I was doing a familiar story, it would be kind of neat to do some of these kind of old familiar songs. And uh, so we sang, How Great Thou Art, Blessed Assurance, Come Thou Fount. And this morning we end with probably, it's the newer version of it, but Amazing Grace I would probably dare say the most recognized hymn. As we conclude, I really want you to seriously consider what your prayer life looks like. I know this, there's room for improvement in all our lives. And I'm not coming before you this morning pointing fingers at you and telling you guys need to do this, 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 and this. I'm wrestling with God about this same instance in my life. I'm, I'm wrestling with him that, that, yes, I want this to be an earmark of the church, but, but heaven forbid if it's not an earmark of Chad. Like, I want this... 
I, I want in my own life that, that these are non-negotiables. Like Chad is spending time with God every single day. Not because I need to, to check a box off. Not because it makes me look better, but because this is my time to spend with my Savior. I don't want to wrestle with this thought of having even answered the question, is prayer a necessity? I want it to be an absolute necessity. We could just have everyone bow their heads, close their eyes. Um, Again, I don't know how God may have spoken to you this morning. Um, We kind of went down several paths. Maybe there's some this morning that would say that my prayer life is not what it should be. Um, and I want to change that. I, 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 want, I want God to become more, more real. I want, I want my prayer life to become a necessity. That when I miss it, like there's something missing from me. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe, maybe part of it is just this consistent life that Daniel lived. We use that term like practice what you preach. That was Daniel. Like he purposed in his heart. We've seen these story after story after story now. You might just say, that's what I want. We, we sang right after announcements, blessed assurance. This is my story. Maybe today you'd say like, I want that same story. So this morning, maybe God spoke in, in one of those ways to you. You just, there's something, you know for certain that you're a Christian, but, but you, there's something in your life, prayer life, your walk with Christ, your testament, what is something you, God pricked your heart today, and, you, and today you're saying, I, I, I need prayer because I got I to gotta do some changing. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen, 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 amen. That's awesome. Amen. Here's the second question. The most important question that we ask at the end of every single service. The, you would say that you're here today and you will honestly, honestly could say that you know for certain that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you, you're a lot like Darius, that you made some dis- stupid decisions in life. We all have. But, but he's not been your God. He's not the one that you worship. He's, he's not in your life. He's, you know you're not a Christian. Jesus said, John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus saying. Jesus said, and he had all authority to do it because he's the one that's talked about in John three sixteen. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and for me. It's a free gift. It's waiting. It's it's wrapped. It's got a pretty bow and it's waiting for you to take it and make it your own. So this morning, you may find yourself here that you would say, "I, I know that I'm not a Christian, but I want to today. I want to ask Jesus into my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? Okay, y'all can be seated. We're going to pray for the decisions.